Welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? I'm your host, Tara Clancy. Join me each week for the stories, the science, and the solutions to help you banish counterfeit sleep and have more energy, increased productivity, and a reflection in the mirror you love. Go ahead and subscribe and you'll get each new episode as soon as it goes live. If your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. The Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, Season 1, Episode 19. What do you do when you have a business problem that impacts your bottom line? You implement solutions, right? But what happens when those solutions don't work? What can you do? That's exactly what we get into today in part two of our special business impact series, where we're shining the light on counterfeit sleep in the workplace. And there are two important points to know. Number one, counterfeit sleep is a sleep performance problem, and it drives many of today's biggest workplace challenges, from workplace safety to employee turnover, and from workplace culture to the bottom line. And number two, counterfeit sleep is a hidden problem. And that makes it very hard to find the right solutions until, of course, you ask the right questions. And when it comes to asking the right questions, today's guest is a superstar. Jill J. Johnson is an award-winning management consultant who has personally impacted more than $4 billion worth of business decisions through her consulting work. She knows what it takes to develop and implement strategies for turnarounds or growth that get results. And she knows how to ask the right questions, the bold questions, that help you make better decisions so you get the ROI that grows your bottom line. Listen in and get answers to these questions. What is the common explanation trap? Why is the common explanation trap so dangerous for your company's bottom line, especially when it comes to sleep performance problems? And how can you develop a multi-generational problem-solving approach that gives you multi-level ROI? Let's listen in. Hello, Jill, and welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast. Hi, Tara. So glad to be here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Thanks. And uh, this is our special business series on counterfeit sleep in the workplace, uh, we kicked the series off with Jeffrey Hazlett, who we both know from uh, National Speakers Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeff is the CEO of the C-Suite Network and a marketing genius. And of course, that begs the question, why does counterfeit sleep need marketing? <laughs> and really, it's because of this staggering figure. U.S. businesses lose an estimated $150 billion dollars, right? Billion with a B. They lose that annually because of counterfeit sleep. It shows up in workplace accidents. It shows up as lost productivity. It shows up as employee retention problems, including why you lose your top talent. So basically, counterfeit sleep is the driver of the costly problems in today's workplace, but it is a hidden problem. 
So companies never see the ROI they should when they pour money into initiatives and programs because they're trying to solve the wrong problem, essentially. And that's why I'm so excited about our conversation, Jill, because I know you know a thing or two about the evaluation of complex marketplace dynamics yes. and solutions. <laughs> so, yes. so let me let me ask you this. Let's let's sort of get things rolling with this. I'd like um, I'd like could, if you could walk us through what's going on here. Maybe if we start with these um, these questions, you know, why does this kind of thing? happen, you know, that a company is just solving the wrong problem, really. Um, and if we could then, as we walk through that, uh, get to talk a bit about what businesses can do mm -hmm. to avoid falling into that trap or, you know, to get out of it if they find themselves in it. So, yeah. So can we start with that? Why, why does this, this kind of thing happen? I think it, it, it's, a, there, it's a multifaceted question. And I think one of the, the key elements of it is that people are looking for the simplest reason for a, a situation to be occurring. And they usually default to what's common within their own perspective. So it's that, the, that personal bias, if you will. Mm. So if it's not a problem for me, I don't necessarily have the bandwidth to understand that that might be a problem for you. And so when you look at how compressed leaders and managers and executives are and have been over the last, especially the last year and a half, you know, they're just running, 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 running. And when they're trying to look at these problems or they're looking at issues of productivity or uh, issues with people who've had accidents in the workplace, they're looking for the most common explanation for it or a common explanation that makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. And so if sleep isn't even an issue on their radar, they'll never even consider it because that's just not part of their own makeup. And, and we always, I think a lot of people just stay in that box that makes sense to them. And mm -hmm. what we have to do is, is get leaders and executives to push their boundaries of their thinking out in, in more comprehensive and complex ways. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of good sense. Do you happen to have an example that you could share that would sort of illustrate that where, you know, a company was, like you said, looking at something and saying, well, it must be this because that's what they're familiar with, mm -hmm. but, you know, didn't have the actual problem in their realm. So they didn't even think to identify it. Sure. It's not relative to sleep, but I've, I, over, as a management consultant, I've worked for over three decades solving business issues and problems. And we see all the time where executives have been led to believe that the, the issue is one thing by their lower level or mid-level staff, only to discover that that's not the case. And so we had one client, it was an extinction level situation, and they had a very naive perspective about what they thought the problem was because that's what their team had told them the issue was but the but team can I was, just jump in for one second when you say extinction level that means the whole enterprise could die and I really yeah. okay no just it's, it's like, it's, makes sense. It's, yeah like the dinosaurs <laughs> go it the was, way of the dinosaurs no, it, and it happened very rapidly and those those client facing and and uh referral source facing team members who were kind of at that mid-level 
weren't understanding the cues that they were being given by those those key players. And so they looked for the simplest answer that made sense to them. Mm -hmm. And that's then what got filtered up the corporate food chain. This is the explanation for why our referrals have fallen off the, the map here. But when we got in and we pulled data and we looked at information and we talked to key referral sources and we did a lot deeper, more sophisticated assessment, that wasn't the reason at all. The re it was, this was a particularly large skilled nursing uh, facility and it was actually that the average length of stay had been cut in half and there were a huge number of market forces that were behind it. It was the same patient volume, but mm -hmm. the average length of stay had just collapsed All right. and so there weren't enough other people coming in. And so the team members just said, oh, well, they're just sending them off to home health care when we were able to go back in and prove with data that no, absolutely not. It's the same volume as you had before. It's just how long they're staying. And there were a lot of other factors yeah. behind so it me, that people didn't understand. Right. So, so I can see uh, that really does illustrate the problem. So if you said the, the, um, you know, the lower level people have identified, hey, we have almost, uh, you know, a, a, a marketing problem of getting people in here. Mm -hmm. If you, if the higher ups then make a decision on that, based on that to say, okay, let's get marketing on this. It doesn't solve the problem because it wasn't the right um it wasn't really the problem, right? So, and in, in over three decades of consulting, we see this all the time. It, uh -huh. it doesn't matter what it is. It's almost invariably when they haven't been able to solve the problem and they need someone from outside to give guidance, the deeper we get in and the more you know we get under the hood, we often find there are lots of other complex reasons. And most invariably it's because team members missed or misunderstood the reasons for the real issue. And so when you were talking about productivity or accidents in the workforce, it's the same kind of dynamic because if you're not looking at the right questions about what's really driving the situation, the simplest answer is, or the simplest explanation isn't always the right answer. And, you know, we've had executive leadership in many organizations that we've worked with over the years who've wasted, you know, six months or a year because they believed the wrong story. Um, when I, I, I do a lot of speaking on decision-making and, and I talk about different kinds of assumptions. And one of the assumptions is the myth. And in many cases, it's a myth that people are basing their decision-making off of and you have to get beyond the myths to the truth. And so that's- Can you give critical. an example? Uh, what do you mean like of, of there, so a myth? Is mm -hmm. it just like you just described or is it something different? It's, um, it's similar, different vein. I had another client down in Florida that um, was having revenue challenges and um, up the corporate food chain, everybody believed that there was a particular market issue that they had that they couldn't control. And it was very complex and they just all waved their hands and said, well, we can't do anything about it because it's part of the market. And I just, it didn't ring true as I was doing field work and we were doing competitor assessments and things like that. So I did some reverse engineering to find out who was the source mm. of this very simplistic explanation. And when I found out who it was, she's a lovely woman, but she had a degree in sculpting. Mm -hmm. 
as in like building sculptures, uh, art sculptures. And she had only been in that sales role for a couple of months. And so when somebody asked her, why is this the problem? Based on her perspective, that's what she thought it was. The problem was, is that myth got carried all the way through that that location through their regional offices to their national headquarters and everybody believed the myth because nobody questioned it nobody challenged it yeah you know it sounds like she might she might be a great addition to the marketing part of the company because clearly she knows how to make something go almost viral (laughs) well you know I mean it's but we see it all the time I mean they're well-intentioned you know and to her given her limited experience that was what made the most sense to her but when you bring in somebody like me who's got much more deeper more complex more robust um, insight and ability to to analyze these complex markets I'm going to be looking at it from a very different point of view because of my level of experience people just never challenge the content that they're given they never ask the okay well where's the documentation on that how did you you know how did you arrive at that conclusion is this opinion or is there data and information behind that that I could take a look at and a lot of times it's just opinion and and so you always have to look for that deeper data and that more credible insight that will give you that objective point of view yeah And again, it gets back to, you know, are you asking the right question? Right, right. And let me ask you a question on that. Do you think that that is, um, you know, a a skill set or more of like a an an orientation personality type being willing to do that deeper probing type thing? Just just curious, you know? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is it's about critical thinking skills. And, you know, I hear from a lot of my clients that that a lot of the younger people that are coming into their enterprises really haven't been taught the critical thinking, how to think critically um, in, in that they can use in the corporate world. So what we encourage them to do is to start involving them in discussions where they pose a question, maybe in the weekly team huddle, it's they pose up a key critical question. Um, Maybe it's about a competitor. It's about a market. It's about a new idea. And then you have multi-generational, intergenerational dialogue about that question. And if you start to do that on a weekly basis, you end up with team members who have now been conditioned to not only ask questions, but they've all role modeled with each other on how to start exploring the question, the answers. And typically when groups and enterprises do that, you know, at the end of a year, all of a sudden you've got team members who just by default are starting to ask better questions about the projects that they're engaged with or they're working on because they've begun to learn that as a skill. That's wonderful. And I I love that for two reasons, really. The first is because it is then something that you can um, develop in people. So that's always wonderful when when we can find a way to develop that kind of capacity. The second thing I love about it is that you mentioned um, that it's multi-generational, like you can do it as a multi-generational team. That really resonates with me um, in terms of sleep because counterfeit sleep is a multi-generational problem. Like even our millennials have uh, significant challenges in this area for a variety of reasons. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. 
take the sleep performance assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. So why don't we go ahead then and, and get into, it sounds like we're starting to make our way towards solutions already. Why don't we delve into that part a little bit? When businesses um, are not seeing the ROI, they're not seeing the, the uh, problems that they have getting solved by the solutions that they are, are uh, implementing, um, what do they do then to really be able to step back, you know, to be able to say, hey, maybe, maybe we're not actually identifying the problem correctly? Well, I think we always ask, is it market or is it marketing? And so, for example, it's has something shifted and changed external to the organization? Are your customers different? Has there been a new competitor who's entered the marketplace? Have there been shifts and changes to how the government involvement or the capital markets are involved? Has there been a generational shift that is now really starting to leak into whether or not they will buy from you. And so what we see a lot of times is certainly clients um, or organizations sometimes will go outside. So they'll hire somebody like me to come in and help do that deeper dive. Sometimes they'll set up a, a task force, an internal task force that's charged with looking at some of those broader external variables to better understand um, what it is. Uh, they need to start looking at their own data set. So we'll go in um, and look at detailed customer insight, customer analytics to see, is it changing? And if so, then what do we do? Sometimes it's a need to do focus groups where you bring those customers in or those key decision makers in and you talk to them or you do um, in-depth interviews with them, maybe via phone or, or via Zoom so that you can gather the intelligence. And I if that research element element of, of market intelligence is often the most critical element to being able to resolve an issue. Um, when we look at enterprises that endure over time, it's those enterprises that are able to adapt to evolving market dynamics that are successful. And so typically what you see happen is that the leadership recognizes there's something else here and they really step back and start to dig deeper into trying to understand what is it. And, and then once they have a better understanding, now what do we do about it? So for, mm -hmm. that, for that market example, I was telling you before about the myth, once we understood what the issue was, we were able to develop a whole specific strategy to really resolve and, and to address it. And you know the turnaround was done within like three to six months because now they were working on and solving the right problem. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing with sleep. If, if an enterprise is, is running into those issues of productivity, or they've got people who are constantly coming in late or who are, you know, having accidents on, on the line, then stepping back and taking that solid look is going to help them move beyond the myth of, oh, we just have careless employees to, are they really getting enough sleep? Have we, you know, and then sometimes the, the employees have to own their own choices and behaviors. It's like, oh, right. Until 2 a.m. and trying to get up and go to work at six. Right, oh, right, really right. And, and, and actually, if I need. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because, you know, there are two different animals in, in the sleep um, problem world. One is 
are you allowing yourself to get the correct amount of sleep? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, uh, if is that sleep doing what you need it to do for you? Yeah. So, right, if you are, you know, up until 2 a.m. and trying to get up at 6, well, you, you the solution is kind of easy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> One would but, hope. <laughs> but if you're like me, and for me, I, um, you know, I went to bed at 10. I woke up at 6 a.m., and I felt great when I woke up. So how on earth was I getting counterfeit sleep? Well, because I needed to take a nap every day. And then, you know, as responsibilities increased, I needed caffeine. And then ultimately I had to take up rock climbing to get adrenaline to keep me going. Not at any time did I suspect that I had a sleep problem. Right. And so that's, I think, you know, a big part. Um, if when, when a uh, company is doing this deep dive, as you're describing yeah. to really look and see, really ferret out what's, what's driving what. So that's great. All right. So that really sounds like the, what they would need to really start doing to exactly. really start it, basically asking the right questions to kind of define what the actual problem is rather than trying to, you know, solve something else that's not really, uh, the driver. And there's a a lot of times those problems have multiple spokes to them. And so it's, it's, again, it's getting close enough to the options for resolution that you begin to test. And sometimes that first wave isn't quite right. So then you have to add another layer. So like with sleep, it might be, you would look at maybe your sleep hygiene, you would go to bed a little earlier. You might stop drinking coffee at three o'clock, quit watching TV at 1030, but you know, you may have sleep apnea. So there may be even more beyond the story. Yeah. That's exactly what my assessment um, helps to do first to look at the sleep hygiene aspects. And then what, what I call the sleep integrity aspects Mm -hmm. to see whether, you know, your sleep is really doing what it needs you to do uh, when you need it to do. Um, So that's wonderful. So I'd like to ask you uh, as we kind of start to wrap up here, the first thing um, I always ask um, guests to do is to, to tell me what they would put on a billboard about the message that they would like to send out. And, and as, as you think about that, think about two things. The first is, you know, billboards are relatively small real estate and people go by them relatively fast. So given that and all the expertise that you have in, in really getting in and helping people understand what the real problem is that they should be solving, what would you put up on a billboard, Jim? I would put on ask bold questions. And we talked before, I wrote a series of books on the bold questions series. And I'll do a shameless plug um, for the books. There's four versions. Um, One is on business strategy. One is on opportunities like sales and marketing. One is on leadership. One is on decision-making. They're meme-sized quotes with a critical question to use for discussion. And if you ask the bold questions, and whether it's these questions or the other kinds of questions that we've talked about, I think organizations and enterprises will accelerate their ability, not only to solve problems, but to build and create a workforce that is more productive and is more inclusive and is more profitable because they've taken the time and they're 
not resting on what has always worked. They're always looking ahead to what's next, what's new. How do we leverage technology that we've all learned in this last year into new opportunities to expand our workforce, Absolutely. to create other things? So it's it's all about asking those bold questions, if you will, and and looking at the framework. So that's that's what I would put on my. I desk. love it. I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. And it goes back to you know when we were talking about the. Um, the teams, the multi-generational teams asking the questions, it's it's like, a, you know, once they develop that process and, and have that capacity, mm -hmm. it comes into each new situation. So, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's an evergreen skill, if you will, an well, evergreen and that was the when we were putting the books together, we had a lot of the meme size quotes, you know, the real short quote with a question. So we call it quote question pairs. And we did five generations of beta review to see because I had too many, so I had to call them out. And our Gen Z and millennials were like, oh, get rid of these questions. And myself and the boomers and the really seasoned silent generations are like, those are the most important questions. <laughs> and what it showed was the lack of, of insight. And so we use the books I use it with clients like my team at Mayo Clinic that I work with and things like that. We use these as a way to facilitate that dialogue. These are not complicated book books. These are a tool. So I always tell people, if you're expecting these to be, you know, a hundred page book with lots of words that no, it's, it's more, it, these are reflections. Yeah. But when you start to ask the questions and you don't have to think about the questions, I've already, you know, 52 weeks in each book, I've already taken the time to think about it. It's just teeing it up. And and there's no perfect answer. The questions are all unique to your situation. Right. And, and once you start to get into that habit, then you are going to be in a much better place. So that's what I would encourage businesses to do. I think it's wonderful. Definitely. I think we could always use more critical thinking, <laughs> you know, develop that definitely. All right. And then the, just the very last question I have for you is about uh, contacting you. How would someone connect with you? Well, um, on most of the social media, you can find me on each social media platform as Jill Johnson USA. So on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, that's, that's the kind of the big thing. Um, and, and, you know, with whatever the preface is for the, for the site, my website is um, www.jcs-usa. Dot com. So J for Johnson, C for consulting, S for services, jcs-usa.com. And, and those are the two best ways to, to go about. Finding. All right. I will definitely put those in the show notes, uh, show notes then. Well, thank you so much, Jill. I really think you've um, shined a really big spotlight on this important idea of being able to essentially, you know, ask the questions that are going to lead you to the answer that actually gives you the payoff that you want really at, in the, at the end of the day. And I think as you've described it, the payoff is, is not only in the bottom line, it's in all the other stuff that yeah. leads to the bottom line payoff, right? It's in, exactly. in the way, the, the, in the productivity and the corporate culture and all of those really essential things. Exactly. So, yeah. So I thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. It was my pleasure. It was a nice, it was a nice opportunity to, to look at spin on a slightly different level. And so yes. this was great, um, great opportunity to have the chance to share with you and your audience. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. A high performance workforce starts with high performance sleep.
Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the Sleep Performance Assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. That ends this episode of the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? Follow us to get the stories, the science, and the solutions to help you take your counterfeit sleep journey. And leave us a review to help other people find us. Thank you. And remember, if your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.